But, yeah. but yeah. wait, your microphone has a mute button. I mean, this podcast could have been so much better for 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 so many months. <laughs> Friday, October 30th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. After two weeks of multiple health screens and asking everyone to quarantine, I surprised my closest inner circle with a trip to a private island where we could record a podcast and pretend things were normal for just a brief moment in time. <laughs> I'm Molly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News and Daylight Savings Time screw-up. With me today are Gordon Derrick, my fellow contributing editor at Dutch News and Schiermata Coke, cock-up. And Paul Painters, master student in civil engineering and microphone muck-up. Guys, we got yeah. we, we, we screwed up a lot of stuff last week. Who's going to get their apology in first? Because uh, all kinds of things have gone wrong this week. I think Gordon was the most wrong, and therefore he should go <laughs> I was first. The most I, don't know, I, I, I didn't mess up anyone's private uh, timetable. By, by, I mean, by, by, nobody by wrote in with a thousand complaints about my volume levels. So... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I haven't got people going around not knowing whether they're coming or going because I've been told simultaneously the clocks are going both back and forward. But, uh... <laughs> Man, I really screwed this up like so bad, just just multiple times too. It was it was an impressive sort of it's sort amazing. Of, sort yeah, of I thought it was yeah. only on Facebook. No, what happened was is that we always make an announcement about the clocks changing right for daylight yeah. saving time and. I scheduled this post to go up on Saturday, um, and I also scheduled a post to go up on Twitter, and then it posted on Facebook. I had actually scheduled it a day early, so it went up on Friday. (laughs) So I deleted it, of course, when we realized this, and then rescheduled it for Saturday. But instead of copying and pasting the text that I had written, I just like wrote off something else really fast, and instead of saying the clocks were going back, I said the clocks were going forward. So then, and of course, I wasn't paying that much attention to the Facebook page over Saturday, so by Sunday morning, there was just like 60 comments of people being like you are an idiot yeah. and i was like you are not wrong so and yeah, and, and robin the the uh, the editor she um she had this panic uh, she sent yes. this panic message uh, on saturday morning uh, uh, molly you, you put the wrong message up and people yes. are freaking out yeah, but I yeah. Can't... she called me about 85 times i was out walking the dog <laughs> so i like had no idea and i yeah. came back to this like assumption that like the house was burning down or something so yeah and he found out something even worse yeah, yeah. well the worst <laughs> thing about this all is, is that 2020 a... got an extra hour over the weekends so. which is the last thing anyone wanted i mean no one, one extra hour 2020 this. was already bad enough <laughs> so gordon you included fake news for the first time ever i'm sure in the probably, podcast probably last not, week pro- probably not for the first time to be fair but yes uh, I, I i did make an egregious error in last an egregious podcast, error yeah like to apologize profusely by suggesting uh, by insulting the people of uh, well i'm not, not sure who i insulted most actually <laughs> insulting the people of siemalikoch by suggesting that they were not in friesland uh, which they most certainly are uh, but in kronia yes uh, yeah. because i was under yeah. the impression that uh, because the islands had drifted across the coast uh, that that Sri Manakolka become Bartikonia, but it's not quite true. It's Rotimaplat, which is even further towards Germany. 
Uh, yeah. which, which was taken in by Cronia. And Rotemer Oog. There are two yeah. uninhabited yeah, the, water two islands. Two uninhabited islands. Yeah. yeah. And there are. There in fact, are. I think Rotemer Platt was one of them. I'm going to put fake news up again now here, but. No, here we go. One of, one of, one of those islands either has already been sunk under the water or, 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 was, or was recovered from the water, one of those tiny islands. I can't remember. Uh, I think they are. I think with once they were one island yeah. and uh, at some sort of flood they. Uh, what the hell was that? <laughs> okay, Gordon is Gordon is dead. <laughs> and the cock up this week that we have that we will have to apologize for next week is Gordon just died during the recording <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, this week's cock up is I is I had to break off and uh, remember, remind myself I, I still had children because yeah. I had to spend, and just went off in the school bus. That was all. Ah, okay, that's okay, okay. Heard. Great. And I, had to I mean, if you don't think that we would. Take full advantage of this to milk it for a lot of Patreon contributions. Oh, God, you yeah. are extremely wrong, sir. Paul, let's talk about what you did wrong last week. Yeah, my my microphone volumes were very off, apparently. Uh, but while we were editing, I didn't notice that that much. Uh, no, we didn't notice post production, I didn't notice it. Uh, and then all of a sudden, we put it out on Friday, and for the entire weekend, we got angry messages by people yeah. who who are complaining that my my volumes were off and. Especially Especially compared to Molly, it was apparently very soft, and Molly was very well, loud. I think our volume is always off compared to Molly's. That's or true. Perhaps it's the other way around. I wouldn't dare. I mean, if you that, two had perhaps. a better voice for radio, we wouldn't constantly have this problem. So that's that's true. But this was, I think, the first time that we got so many complaints about the about yeah, no, the. Yeah, uh, no, for sure. So. Um, yeah. Uh, Maybe early on we got some complaints about our sound quality, but this was the first like technical complaints that we had gotten in a long time. But I think the difference is a lot of times is is that when we're listening to stuff, the 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 audio quality that we're getting is much much better than what you're hearing if you're just listening to it on like your like speaker phone on your phone and so you like don't notice this stuff and these problems just get really amplified if you're listening on like worse. Um, yeah. like speakers, well, they don't get basically. That's a problem. Yeah. yeah. So you don't hear it, I think. That's until true. it's yeah, kind yeah. of, like, made worse by, yeah, like, not listening, but with really expensive headphones, like, very intensely, right? Like, this is, because this is sort of how we edit. Yeah. yeah. But when I listen to it back on one of my podcast app, I immediately noticed it, too. So, yeah, uh, yeah their complaints were valid, and I tried to yeah, fix totally it. Valid. So we replaced, uh, mm. I did uh, some tweaks with the post-production and then replaced the file. So if you, for some reason, uh, turned off the podcast last week because it was so unbearable. unbearable i mean you couldn't hear me so so unbearable couldn't it have been i mean I think. which makes the podcast better really yeah, for, I, I think most people. yeah so we, we just need my volume to be really low we need we need gordon's mute button and molly should just leave the and room we should and just, we i should just be the only less, one speaking on this podcast yeah so and then we have the that perfect sounds podcast. fine to me so uh, uh but we are working on it we promise uh, uh, uh it will be better this time yeah, I mean, I think also that sometimes people have this expectation that we have this, like, really amazing production no. system and, like, all of this stuff instead of just, like, no. people kind of just throwing yeah. blankets actually, over things, we're doing, we're doing like, shoestringing this yeah, whole cool. enterprise together. I mean, this is yeah, just a group of people who do not know what they're doing. Basically, we are the, the U.S. administration. <laughs> yeah, this is for sure. Yeah. I mean, with with better hair, at least, but... We are basically the the, the, the Dutch KKD is running the test <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, Or, no, or the sorry. Brexit negotiation They're not team. It's 25 <laughs> competing contractors. I read it in the New York Times, Gordon. That's true. It must be true. We will, uh, uh, we will talk about yeah, the New York we, Times we, more. We're in the that. Did Willem Engel have anything to say about that? <laughs> 
We'll come on to that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so, Paul, so, what was the OPEF of the week other than the scandal of all of the things that we screwed up? I have two OPEFs uh, in store for oh, you because... Bonus OPEF. There's a bonus OPEF, yeah. So, uh, but first, we begin with the uh, coalition party, CDA. It released its candidate list for the general elections in for March 2021 this week. And the Christian Democrats list is, of course, led by Health Minister and Greece extra Hugo de Jonge, who uh, narrowly won the number one position in last summer's leadership election which was organized by none other than Murphy himself, I think. Uh, and yeah. the runner-up was Pitbull MP Peter Omzicht, who is uh, now number two on the candidate list. Uh, and the other comp- competitor uh, 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 of this election was Deputy Economy Minister Mona Keizer, and she is number seven now. But the big surprise is the number 10 on the list, and that is former TV presenter Lucille Werner. Uh, nobody had seen her switch to politics coming, and because until now she had never shown affiliation with the Christian Democrats party or politics in general uh, whatsoever. The nomination came as a huge surprise and the news also raised a lot of eyebrows because it's basically as if you have this reality TV star that's running for president and wins. I mean, mm. s- s- yeah. th- this is the Dutch yeah. equivalent of that. Um, Lucille Werner is best known for presenting the game show Lingo, which we on the podcast have often recommended as a great way to learn the Dutch language. And there was Ophef in 2006 when the public broadcaster announced Lingo would be cancelled. The news led to protests and petitions by many fans of the show. And it also turned out one of the fans was then Prime Minister Jan-Peter Balkenende, who expressed his support for keeping lingo on air he was a CDA PM so perhaps his support back then was the origin of Lucille Werner's love for the CDA oh, that's okay that's an interesting theory does that mean then that uh, if uh, Matt Ritter decides to reinstate Sesame Street then we can expect <laughs> uh, you know all the, all, the, all, the, all, all the Muppets to be on the Faithy Days <laughs> list at the next election I mean <laughs> that, that list already contains of mostly Muppets so yeah <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be that much of a difference I think um, also the embarrassing um, thing I realized uh, as I was writing this I was th- I was trying to come up with an explanation of how lingo works and basically uh, 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 it is bingo but with letters right yeah but I mean, sort of yeah yeah it's yeah, like kind of right oh I thought it was more like boggle it's no, boggle. Never mind. Yeah, that's yeah. wrong. You have is that to, right? No, it's, no, it's not really like boggle either. No, 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 no. no, no. Boggle is that you have to make this. Uh, find the letters in a group of yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, that's not it. No, w- w- what happens is you start. It's, it's, with it's more like Hangman, really. It's, 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 like, it's based on, on, on Hangman. Calcium. Yeah, true. Because you, yeah. you, you start with a, uh, a six, six blank spots and you have the first letter of a word. You have to guess the word. Yeah. And then uh, you, you guess the word. And then it shows you, uh, they tell you which letters are in the correct spot or which letters you you guessed correct but are not on the correct spot so then you can just deduce uh, or at least that's the that's the idea you can deduce the words that what that they are looking for and then uh you grab a ball in in one of these baskets uh and Mm. you have to make bingo on this uh on this card with numbers so it is linguistic bingo paul yeah I have just looked up lingo on Wikipedia because I was curious. Yeah. And boy, do I have some ground <laughs> earth shattering news for you. Are you sitting down? I'm Are sitting you prepared down. emotionally? Yeah. Did right. you know that this game show originated in the United States and then was brought it, to the Netherlands? I it's did not, not know originally this. a Dutch show. I did not know this. This is my entire world has just collapsed. Yeah. I know. This is terrible. It's really a problem, guys. <laughs> this is some real yeah. cultural appropriation that we're doing. It's now. some serious yeah. cultural appropriation. Yeah. 
And the next will be telling me that tulips aren't Dutch either. (laughs) (laughs) And windmills. And No, but uh, yeah, the name means linguistic bingo. So that was my sudden clarity moment. Yeah. Hmm, Mm. Interesting. It is a nice way to learn Dutch, I think. And it's like goofy and dumb. So it's kind of pleasant to watch. It's very Not stressful sort of way. It's very easy. Very easy television. Yeah. Yeah. But there was more Opeth. Uh, there's more op yeah. yes. This is amazing op which an, came in very late, indeed. so I think that's why we decided to just append it. Yeah, the, the New York Times, uh, renowned, oh, um, a renowned uh, newspaper, esteemed newspaper, esteemed yes. newspaper multiple Pulitzer Prize winning uh, newspaper, the New York Times, ran a story about the Dutch handling of the coronavirus, and of course it wasn't very positive about it, because there's not much positive things uh, to say about it, but... No. Uh, yeah, probably nobody can argue with this, but the story caused Ophef when the article quoted notorious conspiracy theorist, anti-lockdown activist, and uh, part-time dance school owner, uh, and also <laughs> Mark Rutte assassination fantasizer Willem Engel as one and, of their sources. And white guy with dreadlocks. <laughs> yes, and that's the worst thing about him. <laughs> yeah, it was probably his most egregious crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So yeah. they quoted him in the in in their article. Uh, and, uh, you know, whenever there is a, a news article about the Netherlands coming up, there are always a number of cliches that they have to do, right? So uh, talking to a highly controversial person is one of the boxes that yes. was yeah. ticked in this article. Uh, and the other one is mentioning a non-existent uh, Dutch tradition. And they did it as well because they talked about yeah. dropping. So check. Um, also oh, yes. interviewing people who do not live in the country. And they talked to a Game of Thrones character inspired by Michiel de Ruiter and novelist Ilya Leonard. Pfeiffer, who lives in Genoa, so Czech, but this time they didn't uh, call Margaret uh, incorrectly the Prime Minister of Denmark, so that was, the, yeah. we, we we almost had bingo. Yeah, yeah, but to be fair, I mean, the reason for that is that about, uh, I was reading this article and assumed as I went through it that it had been written by just some guy in the New York yep. Times office, some staffer who hadn't been to the Netherlands, knew nothing about the country, because he had very much the air about it. It started with something you mentioned uh, a minute ago, Paul, that uh, it, it said that the 25 um, organizations uh, running the uh, coronavirus testing were 25 competing companies, when actually yeah. it's 25 regional boards that just divide up the country geographically and don't compete with each other in any way. So you thought that somebody's got deep in who knows nothing about the Netherlands has just dashed this off. And then I looked at the byline and it was Thomas Erdbrink, who of course is a former Volkskrant correspondent and right. actually quite an experienced Dutch journalist. Oh, really? Yeah. Who had no excuse. And yeah, so... Um, <clears throat> I mean, I yeah. suspect that the 25... GGZ thing is an editing error. Like, as yeah, someone who often too. writes yeah. about stuff that for American editors, like I, I frequently have this issue where they they tr- they're trying to change the language of something to be something that Americans or I mean this happens every direction. It's not just Americans, but it's yeah. my it's also my experience, right? That like they're trying to change it into something that people understand, um, and instead you know sort of make it not true i mean the whole crux of his argument doesn't rest on this 25 thing it's just wrong and it looks dumb to people who know what they're talking about yeah no sure but but, but, but you as a writer usually get a chance to read these things back right yeah uh, sometimes uh, you you always miss it i've had that as well i've 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 read the thing back and i've missed details that they've edited in and uh the you know or you're on a deadline and like something gets kind of switched at the last minute and you don't see it until after it's published um or i mean i don't know maybe for some weird reason he agrees with this characterization i i don't i don't i don't don't but yeah it's fine but yeah yeah, it was kind of what paul was saying at the top is is that there is this sort of 
predilection amongst Dutch journalists to kind of have this like outsider's perspective where they find a Dutch person who hasn't been living in the country and like interviewing a controversial figure. And I don't understand why they do this. Like you could have written this story. I don't disagree with his overall assessment in the story. And you totally could have done it without including all these like stupid things. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he just picked a very a strange cast of voices yeah. to, to comment on the country. There was no, and to, to have one of these people is good for a bit of color, but there was, there's no one with any real, no. You know, I mean, there's so many people that, that you know, typically for the Netherlands, that, 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 you have sort of 200 scientists all kind of falling over each other to yeah. uh, produce various different uh, researches and different angles about how the coronavirus uh, is spreading through the uh, you know, through the water system in in, in Zalta Lunda. Yeah. Uh, and yet you did, didn't talk to any of these, and it was it was a novelist and um, and a conspiracy theorist. Um, yeah, who, 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 whose approach to coronavirus seems to be you know, not so much the hammer in the dance as the Kalashnikov in the dance. <laughs> yeah, you can yeah you can see why it's happened. You know, it's because he's um, you know Engel. He's, he's articulate. He's colourful. He's always got something controversial to say, and he's always available. Yeah. And if yeah. you're writing to a tight deadline, he is the first person you think yep. of because you know he's going to give you good quotes. Yep. But it's a uh, it's a trap that journalists fall into. I think one of the institutional faults of of journalism that you end up just talking to the same people because you know they're going to give you reliable quotes yeah. and the fact that what they say is complete barking mad nonsense becomes a real problem and then and then they become uh, excessively influential on um, uh, on the issue which is a problem when it's a pandemic that's uh, you know, that's causing real problems yeah. uh, for people I mean I think the bigger possibly other thing that this article demonstrates is is that as a news consumer you should always go into reading kind of foreign reporting with a very skeptical eye unless you are reading stuff where there's really an entire news team based there because i mean this guy is a perfectly good journalist like but he's clearly i mean obviously because he's based in new york is not being backed by a team of of good dutch journalists right or journalists who know the dutch landscape and speak the dutch language and are familiar with all of these things and so you see these kinds of like tiny sort of mistakes or like things being made. I mean, I, I suspect that if he was, you know, working here for the Volkskrant doing this article, somebody would have been like, ugh, do we have to interview like William Engel again? Or like, why are we interviewing this author guy who's in Italy? Like, this is not, you know, like, why are you not calling Jap von Diesel, who I'm sure would have given an interview to the New York Times? Hmm. Um, and so you see this a lot. Like, so I think it's, you know, as a news consumer, you should, you should think about these things when you're reading these stories yep. because these, these small things, um, often mistakes are made in these ways because people don't understand the media landscape. This is why parachute journalism is a bad idea. This week, we will bring you, in absolutely no surprise at all, more news about Corona tell you why one homebound politician was none too pleased with some visitors, and discuss why foreign students aren't staying in the Netherlands. Plus, there's a baby panda. This week, Mark Rutte and Hugo de Jonge gave a press briefing, not a press conference. A press moment. A press moment, yeah. Yes. Just for a brief moment in time and we could pretend everything was normal. <laughs> to say what they're going to do now that coronavirus cases have topped 10,000 a day, and the answer to that is absolutely nothing. Apparently it's too early to say if the partial lockdown announced last week is working, so they're going to wait another couple of weeks. Dion warned that the current restrictions would last until December, only for Rutte to say the next day to Parliament they hadn't decided that at all, and the rules were going to be reviewed in two weeks' time. But he also didn't rule out going into full lockdown to bring the numbers down faster, even if they weren't rising anymore, 
Despite the fact that according to Yap von Dissel, the REFEM's head of infectious disease control and grumpy Santa impersonator, a full lockdown would have no impact on the peak anyway. So, everyone clear on what the government's doing? Totally. Everything. Seems great. <laughs> Waiting. 100%. No need to write 2,500 words in the New York Times about how the Dutch are fucking it all up. Yeah, it's basically sure. just sit and wait because, you know, what's the problem when we're having 10,000 infections a day? We can, yeah. we can just sit this one out. Yeah. We might go to full lockdown. We might go to full easing. We, we don't know yet. We might go on vacation for Christmas. We might not. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, Gordon, um, what do the numbers actually say? Well, this is the $65,000 question, because unfortunately, twice in the last five days, the system used by the IVM, the public health agency, to collect the data from the 25 regional health boards has hit problems, and around 20% of that day's figures haven't been processed in time. So we've had reports of eight, eight and a half thousand cases when they know that that's not the full picture because on other days we've got 10,000. According to the RIVM's weekly report, infections increased by 22% in the week to Tuesday, compared to 27% the week before and 60% in previous weeks, which suggests the rate of infection is slowing down, but very gradually. Yeah, it's really annoying that at this exact moment where we want to know if the infection rate is going down or not, we have these two storings coming up, which is really distorting the figures and the numbers that are coming in. Gordon? Yeah. Is the Dutch government using an old version of Excel to track this data? I think it's probably working on Windows 95. <laughs> okay. You know, yep. the... <laughs> no. Okay, good to clarify. Thank with... you. Yeah. Um, are there any glimmers of hope left? Actually, yes, oh. because hospital admissions have started to level off in the last few days. So on Thursday, there were 2,384 people in hospital with coronavirus, which was just eight more than the previous day. And the number of patients in intensive care also went up by 8, from 545 to 553. Ernst Kerpers, the head of the National Acute Care Network, said it would be fantastic if this trend continued. Also, in the northern provinces of Drenthe, Friesland and Groningen, we're seeing infections have actually started to fall. And I, I thought what was interesting about this was that this is the part of the country where the school holidays came a week earlier. So the kids have been off school, huh. possibly. And that means they haven't been passing infection around the classroom and to their teachers. And that's uh, started to uh, arrest the spread of the virus, possibly. Also, infections in Amsterdam, which is also in the northern school region, have come down in recent days from around 90 per 100,000 people to 50. And that means Amsterdam is now the lowest of the four big cities, whereas last month it was the highest. Interesting. One big caveat, though, is that the schools have now gone back. And another caveat is that the amount of the virus in the wastewater system, the sewage pipes, which is the early warning system the government set up um, and then paid no attention to whatsoever and those numbers are still going up and in some places they're actually accelerating so so a uh, little bit of mixed signals here so, so, so we yeah. are still in the shit i mean literally that's that's yeah. that's what you just said gordon is there news about schiemonnik oog is schiemonnik oog already corona free i don't know i, I don't I, i've never heard of you just stopped watching it when, when they started to have infections. Yeah. Exactly. I've, I'm just ignoring it now for, for, for my own safety. You know, I haven't heard any news of if They had an infection two weeks ago. <laughs> and now the whole island has been laid to waste. It's, it's... <laughs> <laughs> 
So how are you guys doing lockdown 2.0 wise? We're now two weeks into this. How's it uh, How's it feeling? How's it going? I don't notice much. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah. Here, actually. Um, no, I'm just staying at home. Yeah, I'm still staying at home as well. And uh, yeah, nothing's uh, really changed. Um, the only thing is you, you go into the supermarket now uh, after supper thinking you'll, you'll discover beer. And of course you can't because you can't buy alcohol after eight o'clock. How did they uh, shield the, the shelves with alcohol in your supermarket? They've just used the uh, the trolleys that they push around with the with the boxes of food in stack the shelves. But they're just laying them down on their sides to, to stop people going to the wine aisle. Uh, in my supermarket, they have uh, these blankets that you use to cover. Tarp, like the plastic like sheeting thing that you use like when you're camping exactly. or something. Yeah. And they just hang it over all the alcohol shelves. Because, but this is all behind XL. So it's a really large supermarket. So they have a lot of alcohol. Yeah. So uh, it, it's just strange to see, uh, you know, these shelves uh, shielded off. Uh, it's, uh, it looks weird. But it's another burden on the supermarkets because they have to yeah. uh, arrange all these sort of things. And yeah. uh, a lot of supermarkets are really unhappy with it. But I mean, in Delft... You can text your fancy beer order to the local fancy beer store and they deliver it to you by bike like within like two hours. So I don't understand what these what, people are doing. What they're complaining about, yeah. <laughs> What's everybody complaining about? The rumors that Prime Minister Mark Rutte has finally made a decision about his political career are growing by the hour. RTL News and Algemeen Dagblad reported on Thursday that Rutte will indeed leave the VVD's candidate list in the general elections in March 2021, but an official announcement is yet to come. Rutte said last year he would decide about his political future in the summer of 2020, but the corona crisis demanded his full attention and the decision was postponed. It is not a surprise though that Mark Rutte will stay on. It's an open secret that uh, his ambition is to become the longest serving prime minister in Dutch history. Rutte has been leading the VVD party since 2006 and is prime minister now for over 10 years and i think the record is at 12 years or 11 years something like uh, that right? less than 12 or just over 12 is a good libus in any case yeah indeed there's a new book a biography of mark Rutter came out um, I'm, I'm reading it right now you're reading right now peter de Koning's book right yeah. So, so this is published last year, and there's there a lovely detail in it. I, uh, I listened to the NSA podcast where she was interviewed about it, and there's a great detail where um, she mentioned uh, that uh, everyone is convinced that Rutter is uh, going to uh, um, stand again as Fefede leader. And the main reason is that Rutter is, is notoriously a creature of habit. He always does exactly the same thing in exactly the same order. He's extremely predictable. And the reason that everyone is sure that he's going to contest the election next year again is that a couple of months ago he moved his annual winter skiing holiday from March to February. February to clear his diary for March, and that's why everyone knows that he's he, that he's going to stand in the election. Because he 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 changed his order of habits. So yeah, it's uh, it, there must be something very important. So are we not tired of of Mark Rutte? Surely the Dutch voters are. In any Surely case. people who can vote in this country are tired of Mark Rutte. You would think that, right? But no, not at all, because the VVD is uh, currently overwhelmingly leading in the polls, or actually in the polls of polls. Uh, the VVD is currently polled at 43 seats in the 150-seat parliament, uh, and that's compared to the 33 the VVD won in the 2017 election. So they're up with uh, uh, with 10 votes. So they're doing extremely well under the Margrethe leadership. Yeah, looking at the other polls, uh, uh, looking at the other parties in the polls, the next uh, largest party is Geert Wilders' PVV party. It's currently polled at around 20 seats. 
Which is what it has right now, right? Which is what it has right now. Uh, it had been stable at around 15 seats for a very long time, but Wilders is benefiting from an exodus of, uh, of voters from uh, Cherubudet's Forum for Democracy party. In a survey by Ein van Daag, former FVD voters said they have stopped supporting the party because of Baudet's flirts with conspiracy theorists such as, uh, there he is again, Willem Engel uh, and rapper Lange Frans and uh, others as well. So yeah, uh, Cherubudet is not doing very well in the polls he's uh, scaring off his uh, his voters and they're returning uh, returning to uh, to Geert Wilders. Uh, Forum for Democracy is currently polled at only five seats. Uh, it won two seats in 2017 so they are growing but it's nothing compared to uh, to the overwhelming um, uh, win they had in the last election the provincial elections uh, when they became the largest faction in uh, uh, in the provinces but also in the senate as a consequence but, but only very briefly of course because then two of their senators immediately defected and that meant that that meant the favor day became the largest but on paper they were the largest part at that uh, at that time uh, then we move on to the other coalition parties uh, CDA would get 14 seats currently and that's a loss of five seats and d55 the script says but it must be d66 <laughs> uh, they would lose uh, six seats uh, and they get uh, 13 seats so the other coalition parties are losing or at least uh, the other uh, larger coalition parties because the smaller one christian has more seats they uh, they grow with two seats to uh, to seven seats so they are doing extremely well they really are by their standards, because the Christian Uni is a party that t- tends to concentrate very much on its established voter base. It's not really looking to, to grow. Do we think it's because Christian voters don't like Hugo de Younger and the, they're pulling away from the CDA? Christian Uni have these, uh, this increase for, for months now, so it's not a, not a Hugo de Younger effect. Um, it's just... Uh, I think people like how I- the integrity of, of, of the Christian Union politicians, such as um, Gertjan Segers, uh, he is just a very uh, reli- reliable, uh, ethical guy, and he doesn't cover up when the coalition does something that the, their party doesn't really like. He just tells what it is. He says, yeah, we, we probably would have done it any uh, uh, in another way, but you know, we are in this coalition and we agree to this. Um, and then he points out what, what, what points the, the, the Christian Union won got an exchange to it and that just attracts voters his honesty and his integrity I think it's quite astonishing that uh, Rutte and the Fefe Day are doing so well obviously I mean, you see around the world that a lot of governments um, have uh, gained support during the coronavirus crisis because um, it gives them an opportunity to look competent even though the Dutch government doesn't look that competent at the moment but it's kind of fascinating that uh, once again Rutte is in a situation where he manages to claim most of the credit for things that go right and anything that goes wrong tends to be blamed on Hugo de Jonge his coalition partner partner which is a classic Rutte move you know it's always the junior coalition partner that uh, that ends up in difficulties when, when they go into uh, into coalition with Rutte yeah, it's uh, there is a saying "regeren is halveren," which means when when you govern you um, you get reduced by half. Um, Gordon is better at, uh, at at translating these uh, uh, catchphrases, right? Yeah, I don't know. Would it be something like, uh, yeah, uh, ruling is, uh, is is halving or something? Okay. I can't think. Sort of my, my head, yeah. In in Dutch, it sounds better because it's rhymes, but... Get elected, get dissected. Oh, that's a good one. There we go. Gordon is, Gordon is so good at this. Um... And that's, uh, that's always true for all the coalition parties. Uh, for the PvdA, it was even worse than that when they uh, used to have over 30 seats and got eight at the, at the next elections. Um, 
Yeah, having gone down from 38 to 9 at the last election. I mean, that puts that in context. Yeah, and if we uh, look at the other coalition, uh, opposition parties, GroenLinks, they would also get the same result as in 2017, according to the polls. They remain at 14 seats, and Labour would grow with 5 seats to 13, but that's just still nothing compared to what they used to be. Interesting fact, though, the current coalition would poll uh, collectively at 76 seats. So they would have a majority uh, in parliament if elections were today. And that's quite a unique situation because usually uh, coalitions are relatively unpopular and would never uh, win a majority in the polls. So uh, that's uh, that's an interesting situation right now. The other interesting thing about the election, which uh, I just uh, read this morning, is that uh, they're talking about holding the election over several days in March. Um, oh. That they will spread for out the corona, voting, right? yeah, because of Corona, because of Corona safety. Um, so that rather than having it on one day and people having to queue up to vote, uh, which makes for nice pictures of people queuing in the Binnenhof courtyard, but it's not very safe in the context of a global pandemic. They're now going to uh, open the polling stations for two or th- across two or three days. And Kaisi uh, Olongen, who's a Home Affairs Minister, is said to be preparing a letter to Parliament uh, to that effect. Um, and that brings us back round to um, what uh, every uh, subject of energy comes back round to at the moment which is coronavirus because it's got into the Binnenhof as well has it not Paul? Indeed a number of politicians have announced they are self-quarantining um, Education Minister Ari Slop uh, had to abruptly relieve the Tweede Kamer during a debate because one of his closest aides had tested positive for COVID-19 he received a warning from the Corona app on his phone so apparently it is working or, or maybe they just fabricated this, this situation in order to convince people that it is actually it's working it's good PR yeah. it's good PR who knows but uh, th- there was a little bit of ophef because he's said in a tweet that he got a, a, a notification on his on his phone that, that someone near him got infected with corona and he also knew that it was his his close aide so a lot of people said how do you know that because the 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 app shouldn't uh, tell you uh, you know because of his, uh, privacy reasons who who was the one who who got infected but you know, it's one of his close aides, so apparently he just... Yeah, but, but, but he also said um, that the, the person themselves had informed him before he got the message from the app. That's so how he knew. That was how he knew. Um, yeah. 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 There was also Opeth, of course, because he tweeted that he was going to go and get a test, and then lots of people pointed out that you can only get a test if you've got symptoms. Yeah, indeed, he and then he corrected it uh, later. Um the minister uh, said on Twitter he will stay at home for two weeks as a precaution, but is showing no symptoms. Then Foreign Affairs Minister Sigrid Kaag too is going into quarantine after one of her aides was tested positive as well. And d leader Rob Jette is also staying at home. He was in fact tested positive earlier this week. Uh, and he is staying at home where members of protest group Farmers Defense Force paid him a visit on Thursday night. They brought him a basket with food and filmed the visit, which was put online. And Jette said later, on, on Insta- in an Instagram post that on second thought uh, the visit felt very uncomfortable there was no threatening atmosphere yet wrote far from it these farmers meant no harm but it made me feel uneasy all the same no matter how nice the gesture activists should not come at politicians home particularly late at night and unannounced and I think he has a point there. Yeah, I think he was also uncomfortable because uh, Rob Yetten is uh, is vegetarian, and they brought him a basket full of meat. Uh, no, it wasn't. It, it wasn't a basket full of meat. It was a basket full of uh, food, and there was meat in it. So it wasn't just a. Yeah, but they said that they intentionally brought meat, cheese, and eggs because he is a vegetarian, which I thought was interesting because vegetarians eat cheese and eggs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the meat part was uh, was intentional, indeed. Yeah, I mean, but- it was an intentionally dickish move from an organization that is 
is often quite dickish. Yeah, and bear in mind the same people who have in the past travelled to protests with coffins with the name of the DCC6 leader uh, at that time Alexander Pechtold written on it. So yeah, th- these are not just kind of your, your friends turning up with a, with a goodwill gesture here. I thought it was Jesse Klaver on the coffin. Oh, it was Klaver. Sorry, it was. You're right. It was Klaver on the coffin. Yeah, sorry. More fake news this week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, don't don't drive around with coffins with politicians' name on it if you want to. No, or turn up on a doorstep with uh, boxes of meat. And do, I mean, don't don't show up on a politician's house unannounced at 10 o'clock at night with a basket of food that you don't think that they're going to eat. But you shouldn't do that generally. Like, don't show up at my house at 10 o'clock at night unannounced with a basket of coffee. Like, that's still a dick move. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would I would not object to a basket full of food, to be honest. So uh, if you're planning to bring a basket of food to politicians, just come to my house and I will happily accept it. Okay, so we're going to bring you a Frickendale vlog. Oh, no. That's what you're going to get at 10 o'clock at night, unannounced. Zort Pete. We can do Zort Pete, Paul. D- do, we, do we really have to, Molly? Yeah, we do. Somehow, every goddamn year, I get stuck doing the Zort Pete news. And this year is no different. Yeah, you are really our Zort Pete correspondent. <sighs> I keep trying to avoid this, and yet somehow it just keeps happening. Yeah. It's really irritating. Search giant Google has announced it is banning advertising in the run-up to Sinterklaas festivities using sooty peats as well as the traditional blackface version. The ban means companies will not be able to promote their goods using sooty peats and individuals will not be able to make money from sooty peats or traditional peat videos on their YouTube channels. Quote, Google is committed to equality and diversity, the company called Dutch News in a statement. We have seen that some alternative forms of the black peat are still based on racial stereotypes. We have drawn a line to keep our policies applicable as consistently as possible. Facebook said this summer that it would ban blackface peats from its social media channels as part of a decision to bar content that includes, quote, implicit hate speech like blackface or anti-Semitic stereotypes on a global scale. So I think in a normal year, in a year that is not 2020, this would have been huge opeth. It did not really seem to like be that much of open. resonate anywhere, yeah. basically. I also think in a normal year, I would have a strong opinion about this, but I just cannot muster up the energy to care. I think uh, the general sense in the Netherlands is that we basically accepted uh, already that Swetopita is not going back to, to his old version. And, uh, yeah. and and I think the majority of people probably don't really care that much how Swetopita looks like, because after all, kids just want to have presents and doesn't matter yeah. if someone painted black or painted yellow or painted purple or painted whatever yeah. is bringing it to them um so yeah i uh, i think we moved on a little bit i think yeah i think so too i mean i do think that there's something to be said for the fact that people who get really riled up about Zorta pete are also people who get really have gotten really riled up about like corona trutherism basically that you see like in data about mm. these people that there's like a lot of overlap the, the people who are making a fuzz about corona now uh used to make a lot of fuzz about sweater pete and there's yeah i mean i suspect we'll see some of it as we get a little closer to sinterklaas but at the moment there's this other thing that's quite distracting yeah. and is sucking all yeah. the oxygen out of the room basically and that is corona so i mean i don't think it's totally over i do think it's shifting and i also think that like to some degree people are just really tired of having this argument and it's a bit what you said right but like I think everybody has sort of agreed that we've kind of moved on from this, basically. And so, like, why are we still fighting about it? Yeah, I think so, too. 
If you depend on this podcast to keep track of the rolling Svatopitopf or the latest indecision on coronavirus, why not sponsor us on Patreon? All new patrons get a shout-out on the podcast and the chance to ask questions about anything they like or dislike. This week we say thank you and welcome to Aaron Andre, and a big welcome to Aaron because he's straight off the plane from San Francisco. He moved to Amsterdam just last week. Weird wow. time to move, he says, but honestly I couldn't be happier to be out of the United States and here in the Netherlands. We can only speculate on why that might be. Just but, uh, in time. time, he moved just in time. Uh, well, we don't know really. It might turn out to be uh, just exactly the wrong time. We'll, we'll find that we'll know we'll know better next week. Aaron runs a PR consultancy in San Francisco uh, that specialises in tech startups, uh, especially green and sustainable technology. And he's now trying to expand into the Amsterdam market. When he's not working and there's not a pandemic on, he does some dragon performance art and is currently waiting for his outfits to arrive from the United States. He also wants us to ask which political party in the Netherlands he'd be most at home with. And he gives us a few pointers. He says my political North Stars are Elizabeth Warren and AOC. I can't remember her full name. AOC. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and I've been told that they would likely belong to D66. Um, also, what are your thoughts in general about how American immigrants uh, should, uh, can or should get involved politically in the Netherlands? So, two I yeah. don't think either of them would belong to De Sessestech. I no, think I AOC either. would either be Hrun Links or and the Socialist Party. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but one of those two. Mm. And Elizabeth Warren, I think, would probably be Labour. Yeah. Would be my guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say I would not, not query yeah. or quibble either of those, uh, to be honest. Yeah. 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 So, so in general, I don't know. Yes. Yeah, so, so not so much T66. Although then again, if you're kind of uh, uh, a young urban person, then uh, you did, that tends to be these days the battleground between D66 and Kroon Links. So I think yeah. probably as a voter, you would go f- towards one of those two rather than the Labour Party. I would think. I, would, uh, I think the Labour Party is 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 uh, um, uh, the image of the Labour Party is more for uh, older boomer type people yeah I mean, that's uh, it's tied up with sort of things like trade unions um, yeah. and, uh, yeah, and 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 very um strong welfare support uh while wow. uh, who links is much more a dynamic younger younger people yeah. type of party i think yeah um, i mean fortunately for him there will be a solution to this issue in march when the stem visor comes out because you can take the <laughs> yes. quiz and you can do it, and you can see who you should vote for I, based on your opinions on a bunch of issues. And I think and they just, often publish it in English as well, right? Don't yeah, they? there's usually one at least in English, or two yeah. sometimes. Yeah, um, so just so about every media organization does its own stem visor, and some of them are yeah. indeed yeah. done in English. I also yeah, I want to point out uh, regarding the stem visor, the sort of quiz that you fill in, and then uh, the, the part to which you most agree with rolls out. Um, last time we had the piling visor for the last elections, it was delayed because um links and pvda answered the exact same uh gave the exact same answers on yeah. all the questions mm. <laughs> not only uh, uh uh there's usually 30 questions and they have 30 backup questions in case something like this happens and all 60 questions were answered in the same way as yeah. uh, by links as pay for the ass. So these parties are uh, mutually exclusive, I think. You can just... Uh, <laughs> they're very <laughs> it close. Yeah, they're very sim- close. symbiotically linked. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, but if you are a boomer, then you are more inclined to go to the pay for the ass, to the Labour Party. And if you are a younger pro- person... Then if you're, you're a Zoomer, going you're going to Hrunlings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think there's some truth yeah. to that. 
But I would say, actually, to Aaron, as a final thought, uh, if you really want to get inter- integrated into the Dutch political scene, you should start your own political party because that's what <laughs> yes. everyone else does. Yeah, that's also a very common Dutch thing to do. And then leave it after two months uh, because you yeah. got into a fight with someone who uh, is completely Henkel, on the opposite. Because you got into a fight with Henkel. Yeah. yeah, because you got into a fight with You should start your own party, then quit your own party, then get into a fight with your finance minister <laughs> of your new party. Yeah, I mean, you've got lots of options. Yeah. Yeah. Snatch your seat, uh, always snatch your seat. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, Resign from your party but keep your seat for at least four years yeah, yeah. in the meantime go around two or three different other parties or found some new parties and then shut them down yeah um, yeah. Uh, yeah and uh I mean, I that's think to, to answer his question about American immigrants getting involved in politics like I don't think that that's that unusual I mean the party system here does not have quite this you know tight adherence that you have in the US like it's much more sort of flexible I think that like people are much less involved in a single political party as a as a movement than than what you get in america um for very obvious reasons yeah, you don't have that tribal we loyalty about. so much anything yeah. much. um but yeah i mean there's lots of ways to get involved in like political actions i mean we had black lives protests matters protests here there was women's marches stuff there's been climate marches I, he mentioned this i think in the longer excerpt that's why yeah. i'm listening those things specifically so yeah, I mean, I think that those organizations would, you know, welcome people coming to their protests or donating money to them or helping them, um, you know, get involved in political action. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of that stuff in Amsterdam and that he can probably, you yeah. know, find those sorts of things online. And there's also a lot of organizations that are not party political, but kind of politically yeah. active, like Pro Demos um, in The Hague. It's a very good organization, yeah, exactly. to, which is a good place to start, I think, if, you know, yeah. if you're just trying to learn about Dutch politics and the system yeah. and how the parties interact. Um, so I'd recommend looking up a few of those. Pro Demos, first one that comes to mind, but there are others as well. Yeah. If you'd like to join our ranks of patrons, go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. Fewer foreign students are considering staying in the Netherlands after completing their degrees, often because they are worried about their career prospects post-coronavirus. That's according to research released this week by Nuffolk, the Dutch government agency for the internationalization of education. Nuffolk carried out a survey of 600 foreign students who had recently graduated or were close to doing so and found that those from outside the EU in particular plan to return home. Before coronavirus, 72% of non-EU foreign students had plans to stay in the Netherlands, but that has now dropped to 56%. Pre-crisis, the availability of accommodation was the strongest negative factor influencing the decision to stay, but this has now been overtaken by corona. Last year, some 11.5% of the student body in the Netherlands came from abroad. Most of them were from inside the EU. It's unclear how much of this has changed, uh, given that many university programs are remote. Research published last year by macroeconomic think tank Sepe Bay suggested foreign students generate hundreds of thousands of euros for the Dutch treasury. Even after the cost of sending Dutch students abroad is deducted from the total, foreign students from outside the EU generate up to 94,000 euros each for the government. Oh, wow. I didn't realize the number was that high. Yeah, I mean, I also never realized international students bring in so much money. I think it's definitely something that uh, the Dutch government should pursue. Uh, yeah. uh, if, if it's so lucrative to have these uh, foreign students here, they, we should definitely... Uh, let's have more of let's them. Let's have more of them, yeah. yeah. I also think that a lot of students, international students, who are now um, moving back home because of the coronavirus, uh, it, there's not much fun in studying here in the Netherlands at the moment because everything is closed. No. The university is closed. You don't see people. You're not allowed to basically... Yeah. To go outside or to meet at a bar or whatever so some of the more appealing aspects of social life in the netherlands 
you know is gone now so a lot of students are um, motivated because of that that they are now returning to to back to their country also I spoke to someone who uh, comes from uh, Singapore and he is moving back for uh, at least a year he's planning to return but uh, uh, he's just having a, a, a gap year basically uh, yeah. and, w- and he will wait until the pandemic is over and then return so maybe a lot of students have a plan to do this as well I'm not not entirely sure yeah I mean I think that like you know this is based on survey data of recent graduates so it's you know a lot of 22 23 24 year olds and I mean I think about you know what if you had asked me at 24, you know, I would be doing where I was working and what I was going to be doing in the future. Like, I don't think that you have a great handle on that kind of stuff. I mean, I think at this moment in life, a lot of people are still kind of considered dependent or could still sort of consider themselves dependent on their parents. And so, you know, your parents are scared that you're really far away. They have no control over these situations. They can't travel to get you if something happens. They're reading the New York Times and they see that the Yeah, Dutch they've been is- reading the New York Times. They've decided the Netherlands is like a wasteland. Yeah, it's and a so, failed yeah. state. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that, you know, plays a role in this decision-making process. And, like, as as difficult as this is to imagine currently, I mean, at some point we're going to move on from coronavirus. And so I do wonder, like, kind of how that will shift the decision-making. Sports news, which, like everything else right now, is really coronavirus news. Several Eredivisie clubs have been hit by outbreaks of the virus, despite the Cannes-Fay-based protocol, which requires players to stay in their bubbles as much as possible and take regular tests. As at Alkmaar, currently top the league table for uh, virus infection, 15 of their players are now in quarantine or self-isolation. PSV Eindhoven have had eight positive tests and lost their first league game at the weekend, 2-1 to Fidesa Arnhem. PSV could only take 18 players to their Thursday night UEFA League match in Cyprus. Uh, Aaron Zahavi and Jordan Taser were pulled from the flight seven minutes before it took off from Eindhoven <laughs> because they'd had positive tests earlier in the month and that meant that the, uh, they wouldn't be let into Cyprus. Taser was allowed to fly out later after being cleared by the Cypriot government because his test was uh, right at the start of the month. So they decided he was safe and that meant the PSV actually could manage to put four defenders on the pitch. Otherwise, they'd have only had three. PSV's coach, Roger Smith, is one of several who's raised doubts about whether the season can continue. We're doing everything we can to keep the, to all the rules, yet in the last round of testing, there were three new positive cases, he said. The virus is uncontrollable. Um, but that's not a problem. I mean, if you yes, ask. that's, that, that's yeah, how it works. That's if you how don't control work. it, it yeah, turns they, out. They, they go viral, apparently, in short news. <laughs> no, no. Um, they're not the only ones that are struggling with coronavirus, right, Gordon? Uh... No, uh, there are several teams struggling with coronavirus. Um, there's also Fefefe Venlo, who aren't struggling with coronavirus. They're just struggling with being generally hopeless. <laughs> uh, because they lost 13-0 to Ajax at the weekend. Yeah. Um, wow. So only one of their players has tested positive, but the others probably just wish they did. Um, <laughs> the match um, in the cool stadium put the Eredivisie on the map, uh, but possibly not for the right reasons. 19-year-old striker Larissa Traore bagged five of the goals. Ajax beat their own record for the highest Eredivisie score, which was set in 1972 when Johan Krauf was playing, and he got four goals that day. 
A lot of social media attention focused on the goalkeeper, Andre Onana, who ran over to his opposite number, Delano van Coy, um, uh, at the end of the game, which is the most movement Onana got to do in the entire 90 minutes. Uh, <laughs> and put a consoling arm around his shoulder, and everyone thought that was oh, a very nice gesture. Very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and van Coy, actually, he made 10 saves during the game, so the score would have been even higher, and he's only the reserve goalkeeper. So he was possibly, the, I, I think he was the man of the match, actually. Yeah, 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 indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I also thought it was interesting that there was this one player of Evendler who got a red card at the 40th minute or something or yeah, something like that yeah oh there was a captain and then when he mm. um left the field then uh, everything fell apart and all this, yeah, this they, they scored four goals in the next seven minutes yeah, after that red card yeah, 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 yeah that yeah. was when it fell apart because before that they were only four nil down it was kind of respectable i mean kind of respectable. it was still a loss though but i mean <laughs> yeah. 13 nil yeah. was just i mean at some point at some point these players would lose all motivation right w- would it be at the eighth goal or the seventh goal or yeah, maybe you think but it, don't um, they have like um oh what do you call this in like kids sports like a uh uh slaughter rule where, like, if you're so far ahead, they just stop the game because it's just mean to keep making the kids play when, like, the other team is 35 points ahead of them or something. Well, the Cafe Bay is really a Nazi if it comes to, 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 to the rules and the real yeah. state that a game must 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 be 90 minutes long at played. least. So it must be yeah. played, yeah. Yeah, so you just have to keep going and keep... Keep on being uh. humiliated. And of course, the, the Fefefe Venlo's social media account, uh, they started off just doing what they usually do, just uh, reporting the score and saying, come on, lads, let's uh, try and turn this around the second half. But after about 10 goals, they just started posting GIFs of pandas uh, throwing <laughs> computers across rooms. Oh, so, so, so one one Dutch news contributor is also doing the social media of Fefefe Venlo, apparently. Yeah, it yes. seems. <laughs> The per- they've hired the same person who does the live tweeting to do the social media <laughs> for Baby Baby Venlo. Yeah, whoever that mysterious person is. Yeah. No idea. <laughs> it's Truby, I think. We all know Not that. a clue. Yeah. So uh, what about the European results? Yeah, Ajax looked to have taken their goal-scoring form to Italy. They went 2-0 up at Atalanta Bergamo in the first half in the Champions League, but then got pegged back with two goals from Duvan Zapata, so it ended 2-2. Uh, Ajax's next match is against Danish champions Fefefe Venlo, uh, no, sorry, unfortunately not. It's the same Midtjylland. Um, AZ, even though they only have two and a half players at the moment, uh, pulled off an absolute miracle. Uh, once again, they won their second match in the Europa League by a scoreline of uh, 4-1 against Hanke Rijeka, who I think are from Slovakia, but that's probably fake news. Uh, <laughs> You're from uh, Skir Monaco. He's not from Skir Monaco, I can tell you that. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, PSV Eindhoven they won their match in Cyprus in the end having managed to field a full team against uh, winning 2-1 against Omonia Nicosia um, the, the Cypriots went ahead 1-0 with a bizarre goal where they took a very quick free kick from inside their own half and managed to keep uh, catch the PSV goalkeeper off his line uh, so the guy scored from like uh, 60 yards uh, but PSV turned that round and won Dick Advocats Feyenoord though uh, not such a good night for them they conceded three penalties to Wolfsberger, including oh. two in the first 13 minutes, and eventually oh no. lost 4-1, so poor old uh, Dick was speechless. And finally, a little roundup of some positive and uplifting news, and we really desperately need that, uh, especially yeah, after this sure. episode. Um, first, we go to Utrecht, where the University of Applied Sciences has experienced a surge in the number of students wanting wanting to become sign language interpreters. Uh, this year, 112 people have enrolled for its course in sign language training, and that's 33 more than a year ago. A spokesman told NOS the rise 
price appear to be partly because of the Irma effect. But let's be honest here, it's 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 fully uh, due to the Irma effect, oh, yeah. right? It's all the Irma effect. Yeah, definitely. Sure. Uh, and he's referring to sign language interpreter Irma Sluis, who became a familiar face at the government's coronavirus press conferences. Uh, Sluis won renown for her use of the sign for hamsteren, or hoarding, to warn people not to panic buy toilet paper and other household essentials. And um, there's also a uh, Sluis being named after her, right? A Sluis, uh- a lock. No, they decided not to because they only name things after people who have died. Oh, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. She thankfully is still with us. Yeah, unfortunately, there was. Do not take Irma from us, twenty twenty. No, no, I don't, no. I mean, it would be nice to have this uh, lock named after her, but we don't want her to yeah. die for it. No, no, for sure not. Um, the university said it was pleased with the public response, but urged prospective interpreters not to expect fame or recognition. I mean, it's, <laughs> of course, of course, they don't expect that, right? Of course, no. Not. Why would you say that? No. Um, Next, we go to uh, Rene, because the giant panda born six months ago at Auerhans Dierenpark Zoo is a male, the zoo announced on Wednesday. The animal was given uh, the gender-neutral name Van Xing, or Starry Night, in a reference to Vincent van Gogh's painting. Uh, the baby panda could only be seen on a webcam and apparently wasn't a New Yorker journalist because he didn't show his genitals, so it was uh, the zoo was unable to determine uh, his sex until now. Uh, the baby uh, panda is doing well, the zoo said and it's learning to climb and also break his fall uh, as well as gnawing on uh, very nutritious bamboo it's not bamboo is very unnutritious uh, it's not but for pandas it no, is no not at all no? That's why. Oh, this is where they have to eat so much of it, right? Yeah, that's why they have to eat it 24-7 because it is very unnutritious and also their digestive system is uh, is, is not meant to process uh, plants. Uh, it's, 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 they're meat eaters, why basically. Why are pandas so dumb? Yeah. They're just like, what? I- they're very dumb. So uh, the intestines yeah. are very short because they are meat eaters. But for plants, they yeah. have very long intestines. So uh, and and they only eat the most unnutritious plants that they can find because bamboo is very unnutritious and very. Why very do? The, why is this a thing? Oh I don't God. know. It's that's why uh, pandas actually don't deserve to live because they're so. Yeah, this is the joke. <laughs> yeah, they're right? so yeah. so terrible at uh, at surviving. So um, yeah, and also bamboo is very hard to digest. Uh, in general, because it's such a stiff plant, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. pandas are just stupid animals. But that's why they need this breeding program. And uh, Van Singh right. will stay at the zoo for three years and then be put in this international uh, breeding program that China had set up. And it had been successful because they had at least one yeah. uh, one baby panda. Panda diplomacy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then we go to Ramsdong Sphere, which is where, Molly? Uh, it is just north of Breda. Yeah. I, it, it, uh, yeah. You know this very well. It's crazy that I knew yeah, that. Yeah, indeed. Yes. Uh, we go to Ramsong Sphere, where a flying car developed by Dutch company PELV had been cleared to use on the Dutch roads by vehicle licensing agency RDW. The Liberty... Uh, Paul, can I interrupt you just for one second? You just did. Is that the same, a- is that the same agency that approved the stints? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. just checking. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going, keep going. The Liberty is a two-seater vehicle which converts in five to ten minutes into a gyrocopter. Do I pronounce it right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Gyrocopter? 
something. We just assume that it is pronounced yeah. gyrocopter, and that means it can land and take off vertically in a small space. Um, yes. Work started on designing the Liberty in 2012, and it has now passed a stringent road admission tests, allowing a prototype to drive on public roads for further trials. We have been cooperating with the road authorities for many years to reach this milestone, Chief Technical Officer Mike Stekelenburg said. The trick in successfully making a flying car and this is this is a great tip is to ensure that um, uh, design complies with both air and road regulations who knew that was yeah. a dun, dun, yeah, dun. who knew this yeah. um, work on winning aviation certification with the European Safety Agency EASA started in 2015 and the company expects to get the green light in 2022 over 1200 test reports need to be completed before the final 150 hours of flight testing can take place which seems a little bit such very limited amount of time in air right 150 test uh, yeah. hours i mean i would expect yeah. that it would require much more um but apparently it isn't um but maybe if you already have to have your like maybe it's similar enough to something else that like you don't need the well it already needs 12 on the test report so i assume it was tested yeah. very thoroughly but i mean yeah, yeah the whole point is that it flies uh safely right so i think right want to have more hours in air before you give it a license but i mean i don't know i don't make these rules. i mean either um according to the financiële dagblad some 30 people in the netherlands have already ordered and paid for a flying car at a cost of uh, 499,000 euros each i always wonder why they just don't turn it into 500,000, right i mean uh, that's this weird psychological thing about pricing, right? That yeah, like if you if you are going to buy a flying car, then you don't have to worry about this extra thousand euros, right? Yes, I agree with you. Owners must also uh, pass their flying certificates to be able to use the vehicle in the air. Do we do we want a flying car, Molly? Um, I don't think so. I don't see the added value i mean it seems like a cool thing obviously but i'm not really sure i'm convinced that it's like a more effective way to get around yeah i mean i don't have a car to begin with so maybe that's part of the reason why yeah yeah i would i would want one i think i mean not not yeah. for so much money but, but for like the coolness factor not for the like convenience factor no not at all because no yeah I still, like, I don't want to drive this home at the end of the night of having a bottle of wine over dinner. I don't want to have to deal with parking. Like, it's just easier to take public transit and cycle, basically, in, in where we live. So I don't, I see no attraction to having a car. 